Welcome back, Googleization Nation, to another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization, a podcast from the People Forward Network. On this episode, we have one of the most popular and respected business thought leaders today. And what might surprise many listeners is that his title is not CEO, COO, or CFO, but Chief People Officer. Steve Brown does not only have a seat at the executive table, but a CEO has Steve on speed dial. My name is Ira Wolf. And I'm Jason Cochran. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We are the heart and soul of crucial conversations focused on helping you reimagine your tomorrow and exploring the convergence of technology, people, and work. Jason, our listeners are in for a real treat. We'll soon hear from Steve, who is Chief People Officer at La Rosa's, an 1,100-employee pizza chain in Cincinnati. But that's not what we're excited to have Steve join us. You'll recall just a few months ago, we spoke with Dave Ulrich, the father of modern HR. Well, Steve, on the other hand, is actually in the HR trenches every day and is likely living the vision of what Dave calls the human capability. Unfortunately, HR is not all fun and games, as we're going to hear. A recent survey from Amplify of about 300 HR chiefs from around the country, around actually around the world, revealed that about half of them were no longer working for the same company compared to a year ago. And so the great resignation is not only impacting the front lines and the production people and healthcare workers and first responders, but even at the tops of HR. Absolutely. And I think what Steve is going to bring us today is some first aid for our people leaders in the organization, because we've been doing so much of screaming from the mountaintop. This is what we need to do to respond in this crisis to help our employees and to help many other people in the organization. But we also need to remember our leaders, our uh, human resource leaders, they need support too. And we've got to understand how we can come alongside and support them. And there's no one better to do that than, like you said, someone who has the, the vision, like a Dave Ulrich, like Steve does, and then also is doing it day to day with people at La Rosa's. Steve, as, as mentioned earlier, is the chief people officer for La Rosa's. It's a regional pizzeria restaurant chain in southwest Ohio, though he was in the heat of the pandemic during shutdowns. I mean, you talk about the impact of restaurants. So can only imagine, can't wait to hear about that. Been an HR professional for 35 plus years. He's worked in hospitality, manufacturing, consumer products, professional services. He was recently a member of the Society for Human Resource Management Board of Directors, that's SHRM. And he's held several other national, regional, state, local SHRM volunteer leadership roles. And this is impressive. He facilitates a monthly HR roundtable, as well as an HR forum called HRNet. And that reaches over 13,400 people each week. And he's certainly active in social media, recognized for his HR blog, Everyday People, which is at S. Brown with an E. That's S-B-R-O-W-N-E-H-R.com. And he's got two best-selling books on HR, HR on Purpose, and HR Rising. Steve Brown, welcome. Thanks. That's way too much information. And I, we're, <laughs> we're out of time. Thanks for coming. That's right. We're so appreciative of you being here on Geek Skeezers Googleization, and uh, especially with your 
mission and your vision for People First. And we're part of the People Forward Network. And, and so a lot of synergies there. There was an article you were quoted in, and I, and I thought it was great. And, and I've been in this field for 25 years. And, you know, at that time, it was HR needed to get a seat at the table. And I'd say in most companies, they probably have the seat, but they don't have the voice. And I loved how you framed this. I was once an audience, and now I'm leading the discussions. So walk us through a little bit how you got there. And, and I think this will frame where we are with HR today, because there's still that divide with, is it an administrative compliance role, or is it a strategic role? I would say that I'm finally at a company that saw the value of where HR could be and should be. It's not that others don't. I don't like to do the either or type thing, like our company does this, your company doesn't. But we realized during the pandemic, especially that every issue is a people issue. And if every issue is a people issue, then you got to have someone who's watching over the people. So when you have that, it kind of puts HR in a, a different light. So to get to where I am now, A, I never looked for it, I earned it. And I earned it both by being there for our people, working with every level of the organization and showing them how we can be people first all the time. And we have been, uh, this is not new. We have been this way for 60 plus years at La Rosa's, but now we're owning it. And when they said, hey, we're going to tap you on the shoulder and have you join that C-level group, it was not more aspirational. It was, boy, you know, we, we think you're on the right track and this will move us forward as an organization. And what's interesting, in the article, they said, I'm leading it, I'm facilitating it. There's a difference. Uh, I think when it's lead, it's like, oh my gosh, here's you're in charge of everything. No, uh, my job is to pull things together and try to get a big system and an organization that moves together along with the other uh, executives and our great people on the field. You've got this great blog, and you know, which I try to keep up with. <laughs> you share a, new, a, a few things. You talked about your visit to, actually, in in Jason's backyard. You were at the Indianapolis in, at the game. It was Xavier uh, and Butler, and part of that was, you know, you just sat down next to somebody, a stranger, and and you know how you you, know, you struck up a relationship over time. That's really sort of the heart and soul of what HR should be. That not that it's an open door, but that there's a relationship between HR and the people. If you ask HR people what they do, you know, you described in this blog post that it is every day we're faced, you know, with the unknown, and that's what makes the profession so wonderful and attractive. Yet it seems that HR has been notoriously, well, I call it addicted to certainty, <laughs> to predictability. <laughs> Don't want to be the pioneers. I want to make the moves. So. How do you reconcile that or how have you helped people? Because I'm sure there were people within your organization that were a little hesitant to try new things and experiment and take some risks. Yeah, I think the key has been building relationships. Uh, just like in, in the blog, you know, here's this gentleman who just was very forward and introduced himself. In our organization and in a lot of organizations, HR can easily not engage. We can do all the good work that's in front of us, but you don't have to work with people, which is ironic because it's called a human resources. So I think it's more spending time with people on purpose. I do it all the time. In fact, the majority of my day is talking. And 
it's funny that there are people who think that's not strategic. I think it's more strategic than anything. So if I can sit down and have time with Jason, time with Ira, then we can explore what's going on and assess things better. The certainty you mentioned is a myth because if you're dealing with people, people are as unpredictable as anything. And it's really interesting that one of the sad things I've seen in the profession is we've forgotten that we're people too. You hear HR people talking third person all the time. Those managers, those people, those supervisors, those, I mean, it's just constantly. It's not the us, them type thing, but third person. And you say, hey, wait a minute. Have you been frustrated at work? Yep, me too. Have you failed somebody? Yep, today. Did somebody talk about you poorly and gossip about you? Yes. I mean, we've lost the humanity of HR. It's not the H in HR. It's we, we come and try and be these robots that have these overarching policies that have never worked for decades have never worked. Quick example. We don't have a work from home policy. We don't have a hybrid work policy. We don't have a remote work policy. Our procedure is wherever you are, work. And that's it. And people go, well, what does that mean? Well, do your job wherever you're at. So if you're in a pizzeria, kill it. If you're at home, kill it. If you're in the office, kill it. Quit trying to quantify and control instead of enable and perform. If we could get HR people to understand that we can enable our workforce, empower our workforce, and expect them to perform, they will. They're waiting for it. And so if you can foster that environment, you have to be more people first. You can't keep doing collective HR. It doesn't work. That's absolutely brilliant, Steve. And it makes me think of in, in psychology, we talk about self-fulfilling prophecy. And many times going back to school, like a lot of times how well we did as students was what we thought our teachers expected from us. You know, like, okay, if, if my teacher is telling me, you know what, I don't think you're very good at math. I don't think you're cut out for something in math then you start to believe I'm not cut out to do something in math. And we were just talking about growth mindset yesterday and how fortunately we have so much science now that says, no, we're not just these, these fixed beings. Like we can rise to the occasion. We can adapt in the face of adversity. And so in that vein, I'm curious for you and, and for what has gone on at La Rosa since the pandemic started, what have been some of those biggest challenges where you and your team have had to rise to the occasion? There were two that hit us right off the bat. Well, three. One, you have to adopt your business model. And we adopted our business model within a week. And what's funny is we've had delivery, carry out, dine-in, pickup forever in, in our chain. Curbside pickup has eluded us. We went through market research and we had focus groups and they said, you know, people would like to have curbside pickup. Now this was before everything changed. So when it happened, our CEO, Michael, went took the ops group down to one of our pizzerias and he took my flip chart because I am old school on some things. And he says, can I borrow that flip chart? I go, sure. And he took it down, grew up, and he went, curbside pickup. I want it today. And the next day we had it. And so something had, that had been aspirational and strategic and in plans for three years, here comes a crisis, done. So it was forced upon us. So we learned that you can't wish to be agile and adopt. You have to practice it. That was our first thing. The second thing was we realized that people are wonderfully messy and emotional and fantastically wonderfully wonderful and emotional. It's uh, funny. We tell people to bring their entire self to work except their emotions. Bring everything to work, but don't bring your life because that's just awful. And I love now that employees have changed that narrative. 
they're like, if you don't allow this and allow me to truly express who I am through my work, through my relationships, through my interactions, I'll find a place where I can. I think those are more tendencies of what people are doing and changing their career. I don't believe in the great resignation. I believe people are choosing to work where they want to work and make an impact and add value. So we want you to have that here so that you say, I'm not focusing on what you're going to do. I'm focusing on what I want. And the third thing is this, everybody should be essential all the time. It was funny at the beginning of the pandemic, food, hospitality was seen as essential. And this has been a profession that has been overlooked and an industry that has been overlooked and taken for granted for decades. So now when there's a genuine need, they're deemed essential and it went through the whole media and social media. Now that we've been through this for two plus years and people are worn out, we're not essential anymore. It's sad. We have such a short memory as people. Healthcare workers are all of a sudden not essential anymore. First responders aren't essential anymore. And we're back to a, a different type of focus in the workforce. We said everybody always has been essential. So our 16-year-old pizza cook, if he or she doesn't cook your pizza well, that's essential. <laughs> so it was eye-opening for us. It was reassuring for us. And it allowed us to get intertwined throughout our organization to show people how we value them all the time. And, and with that, Steve, how much of that do you attribute to you were ready for those things versus how much of it was kind of in the moment, almost like, hey, we're going to do curbside pickup. Was there a lot of preparation that kind of prepared you? Yeah, I think so. The other piece I forgot to mention, uh, a tragedy, unfortunately. Our COO passed away in December of 20, non-COVID related, had a heart attack, very sad. And he'd only been with us for 45 years. And that's typical for us. And so he and I were tied at the hip and he taught me everything. And he opened doors and opened doors and opened doors. So this message of putting people first, caring for your people, it's not people and work, it's people doing work. It's intertwined. Too many companies separate it. Work is a function. People are a challenge or overhead or a cost center. Instead of saying, my people do good work if they're equipped. So he and I worked on that kind of organically. I hate that word, but I was actually named the CPO two weeks before he passed. And he helped that happen. And then it was like, okay, now that you're here, then what we had to really shift as an organization. So our entire executive team switched because we lost a 45-year member. I mean, you can't predict that kind of stuff. So now I say, here's this giant playground. And together with the rest of the team, we can really reshape things. And it's exciting. It's fun stuff. You know, a couple of things that you said just brought back memories of what uh, I've been talking about, well, for, for a long time, but especially since the pandemic. Uh, and that's actually how I met Jason. I had reached out and said, hey, after this pandemic's over, what do you think about the stress factor? What about PTSD, you know, or post-pandemic stress disorder? Then we, we struck up this relationship. But it was so interesting because Gina Rometty uh, at the time was still CEO of IBM. And she was on this broadcast and she talked about that, okay, we got essential workers. Who are our essential workers? Now, IBM is supposed to be at the forefront of HR, especially analytics and predictability and people analytics. And it's like, oh, it's our, well, it's our managers. 
No, you don't need your managers to keep the business going. It's your frontline people. So again, I think there's so many stories like you shared. And the other one was really interesting. I mean, about the you know curbside. People said, no, we can't do this. We can't do that. Hybrid work. A survey that was done in 2019 said that telecommute, you know, is still known as telecommuting. Now it's remote work. <laughs> so showing our age. So tele- telecommuting has been this thing for years, but 98% of CEOs in a survey said it wouldn't work in their business. And three months later, up to 80% of the businesses were some somewhat hybrid or remote. And now it's close to 40% say that remote or hybrid can work in their business. So overnight, there was like a 4,000% increase between, oh, we can't do that, or it's in the plans, or we need to work on it. And then in 24 hours, just like you did with curbside pickup, it happened. It's, it's unfortunate that it takes a, a crisis for us to act, but I understand it, it as well. So now that it's there, it's funny. People want to return to what they had, not the same circumstance but the myth that they control. It's a huge issue in organizations because if I see you, you're working. Never been true. But all of these things that they think remote is less effective, instead of saying flexibility should be our focus, you know, work as needed, where needed. We've missed it for years. And now I think we're seeing a much better evolution of the workforce by being more flexible. And Steve, the analogy you use of the sandbox, I absolutely love that. You know, that it's something as an HR leader and a people leader you get to play in and you get to be innovative and come up with cutting edge, great ideas that you're working on with your team. Were there any steps that you took, you know, to be able to to get that sandbox? Because some of those HR leaders listening today may be saying, I'd love to have a sandbox that I could play in. But how do I go about approaching my senior level leadership team to get that trust in, in the ability to, you know, do some more innovative things with people strategy? I think there's more of a practice to two areas. One, focus on behavior versus function. What behaviors do you want to see in the organization? How can you teach people? Here's some things to do. I'll give you a quick example. When we went through our change after my COO passed away, they said, hey, you know, we want to get together with you. And so I got to go in with this blank slate. And I said, I want to try things like this. Breathe, check. You have time to breathe. And instead of acting, breathe, and then check. This is not new. This isn't revolutionary. In our organization, it is because we are 100% doers. So my thing is frame things for people where they are. Quit telling them, I can't, I can't, I can't. We, we, we won't, we won't, we won't. The negative narrative of HR has to go away. We have to say, this is how we can do and frame it for you. And if I frame it just a framework, you'll fill it in. And so instead of saying, I need to get buy-in, old thinking, frame it and let people fill it in. And if they fill it in, they've bought it because they're already inside. So I think it's just giving people parameters to work within. And you can do this in any type of an organization. Uh, There's a group in North Dakota that has manufacturing and, and manufacturing traditionally is we cannot be flexible. Our shift is from X to Y and that's the way it is. And they couldn't find people like everybody else. So Their HR person said, what if we allow a person, and they had a young lady who wanted to get her children to school, so they let her work three hours before, take her kids to school, and finish her five hours when she came back, and she was the only person who did that. 
the next parent did something different. The next parent did something different. And they all of a sudden they had this flexible workforce because someone was willing to take the standing system and say, how can we look at this to accommodate our people? And I think if you have a people-focused lens, then you have a sandbox. This fits in, and I think you sort of answered it, but uh, this was a quote that you had. And I can see how some people might misinterpret it, especially with with the move toward freelancers and gig work. Your quote was, our workplace has now become a group of individuals, which seems absolutely contrary to what everybody says. We need people who are good team players. We need people who are co- collaborators. We need people who are, share our values and our missions. And here's Steve Brown saying, our workplace is a group of individuals. Square that up for me. <laughs> I love that you said, here's something people disagree with. That's awesome. I love that part. Two things. We believe in being a strengths-based organization. So if you work from strengths, you're allowing people to be individuals. If they're allowed to be individuals, they bring their best to work. It's just reframing it. The other part is this. You can't tell me you value diversity if everybody has to be the same. We're all on the same team. We have the same values. We have the same this. Instead of saying, I bring this to the table as an individual and add to the whole. So two ways we take a look at this. One, I don't have any collective efforts at at Roses. We just don't. If somebody has a unique situation, we do our best at the restaurants and here to work with them to try and see what we can do. We have limits, we have norms, we have boundaries, but there's a lot of room to work within there. So instead of making things rigid, I say as an individual, let's do this. I'll give you a great example. I have a great team, Julie, Shauna, and Rebecca. Not one of them worked the same schedule. They each have a day that they work at home and we have no policy. And yet we get more work done for a team of 1,100 people. And I'm able to be on a podcast with you guys while they're cranking it out with my team because you take them and value them as individuals. Collectively, they're a big group, but you can't take people's individuality out of it. Jason, as Steve was talking, my mind goes to a mutual friend of ours and colleague, and Steve, I think you'd really enjoy him, Alcini. And he talks about what would it look like if you brought your best self on your best day to work in the best place? I think that's what you just talked about. Absolutely. And, you know, something I've also seen before, Steve, and I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this. You touched on it is, you know, we can't say we're about diversity if we're not allowing people to be diverse. And one of the things that has gotten under my skin is I see this, you know, idea of let's hire for our culture fit. Do you fit our culture? And what that usually ends up being is it opens a road for implicit bias in your hiring practices. In other words, we're going to hire a bunch of people who look and sound and talk the same as opposed to saying we're looking for culture ad. What are we missing that we need that's going to make this more vibrant and more diverse? So I'd love to hear how, how you've been able to incorporate some of that at La Rosa's and some of your hiring practices. Two things. I, I, I hope I hear, a, oh, I disagree with this one more time. This will be great. We hired our director of marketing in 2019 without a job description. We had a, somebody who had been in the role for 25 plus years. She stayed with us and transitioned to a different role, semi-retired. So we allowed her to have a whole new role that we made up for her. And for the new person, I went to the EVP of marketing. I said, most hiring is match the job description. Here are the four bullets. The, the candidate goes, I have those four things. And we go, brilliant. 
and you talk about implicit bias, you're matching the dots. You're not asking anything. So I said, let's do this. This is what happened. I had long-term, highly qualified people who wouldn't apply because there wasn't a list to match. The person we hired that we found through networking came in and we said, if you were the director of marketing, what would it look like? Didn't work in restaurants, didn't have this. She brought this magnificent vision. We never would have looked at it that way using the old model. Just wouldn't have. We would probably wouldn't even consider her. We may not have been even attractive for her to consider us. So she came on. When she came on, she got to hire somebody that worked for her. And she says, I need a job description. I said, nope. What do you need in the role? And now we're taking a look and seeing what that, that is. In our pizzerias, so you don't think of it just in uh, more of a professional environment versus a frontline environment, our pizzerias came back to us and said, we can't keep hiring cooks, hosts, and cashiers. Can we just hire team members? So what we did was we took all the titles away and we got more applications because people said, I just want to work for your company. And we said, okay, if you want to work for our company, what do you bring to our company? And then by doing that, we're hiring people we never even thought of hiring. So we're trying to take out the barriers to get into work for us. We want to have a landscape that allows you to choose, be informed, and join. And I think it's a much different than hire to fill a rack. I'm going to disappoint Steve because I can't disagree with what he said, but I can disagree with every employer out there. If your plan is we're not attracting enough people, we need to update our job description, then don't do it. <laughs> Save your breath. Uh, it's not going to do it. When people would ask me about some testing or, or how do you hire the people, what would you do? My first question is, if you're sitting across from that person one year from now, what is it that that person will have to have accomplished and hire to that other than we're going to write it down and here's, here's what our attorney told us. Here's all the roles and responsibilities. And if it doesn't work out, we can look at the job description and legally terminate that person. What a great way to go into a job. And I said, but nowhere on there it, does it say what their expectations are, is here's what they need to accomplish. And so I love your approach. I, again, apologize, I can't disagree with, with that at all. But I love that approach. And that's my question. When people say, what's your favorite interview question? And I said, we're sitting across from one another, Steve. You and I are sitting across from one another a year from now. What is it that you will tell me you will have accomplished? And how are you going to get there? What's your expectations? That's the interview. I was, just, I was talking to a pizzeria manager, and we have an interview template and all those systems and stuff. He says, I, I'm not using the template. I said, okay. He says, you know what my first question is? I said, no. He says, I asked, do you like pizza? And, you know, we're hiring teenagers. And they said, he goes, oh, I love pizza. He goes, we have pizza. And I said, that's brilliant. And he's just changed the whole you know, entry point for that person and made it a welcoming door instead of a list to match. So I love that you do that. It's a great question. How can a company, how can someone in HR in, in a pretty conservative manufacturing facility, I mean, you're working with people for, you're one of the young guys and you're only you're there for 15 years. That That's an eternity in some companies. That's not the usual story. Usually the story is how do those companies grow and innovate and change because they've been doing it for so long and it used to work in the past. How could someone who's listening here that got the vision and ambition and, and wants to take some of those baby steps and introduce this into their company? 
What's your advice? One, simplify. We complicate everything. We have layers and layers and layers and layers and checks and balances and checks and balances and checks and balances. In my experience now, and if I would have loved to learn earlier, my job as an HR executive is to connect the company together. That's it. So where there's disharmony, bring harmony. Where there's overcomplication, simplify. Clear the lines of communication instead of complaining that communication doesn't happen. So being the connector and the bridge builder is number one and simplified. Secondly, is we call it La Rosify. So if I learn something from you guys, we take it and we put it in our little box and we La Rosify it. So whatever your company is, if you're in manufacturing, take these great ideas and concepts that you hear from other people. And instead of duplicating them, make it your own within your organization. Add to your culture. I have friends that work in manufacturing. Uh, when I speak at conferences, they go, oh, I can't do that. I said, no, you're trying to duplicate. Take the concept and make it work for you in your organization. The other thing is your goal should be to move the company forward, period. You should be a professional who's a business person within your organization, not get hung up on being an HR. You're a business person. And every business person, regardless of their level and their role, is tasked to move the company forward. So if HR would look at it, our profession as moving us forward instead of complying and controlling, you have a whole different arena to work in. We are unfortunately approaching the end of our, our time, Steve. So before we go, we've got our one of our favorite parts of our show when we talk is what don't we know? <laughs> what don't we know about Steve? So the very first question is, what was your childhood nickname? <laughs> I had two. Brownie, because I have an E on the end of my name, and Noser. Because if you put brown and noser together, I was like the teacher's pet. And uh, I loved it. I had shirts that said it. It was the best thing ever. You embraced it. That's I was good. That's fun. You're a speaker. You do lots of engagements. Was there a hardest moment that you had as a speaker that stands out? When I first got started, I went and spoke at the Ohio Sherm Conference. And I went and I was setting up the room. And I was nervous and wasn't sure what to do. And another speaker came in and said, what are you doing in my room? And I, I didn't know him. He didn't know me. And it got very confrontational. Well, it turns out he didn't have the room. I did. And my room was larger than his. So he was across the hall. And he had a packed room and he had been speaking for a while. And I heard him across the hall just beaten on you know how he was treated and stuff like that. Now things have turned. And I have remembered that speaking is a privilege. I, I'm honest to goodness. It's a privilege. To be able to stand up in front of your peers, you should never take it for granted. It shouldn't be about you. And when I had my first example of somebody who was more concerned about themselves than the people he was talking to, it was eye-opening. And I said I would never do that. Yep. A lot of that going around, especially when you do a lot of speaking. What did you want to be when you grow up? Did you always think, well, at the time you entered the field, it was going to be, I'm going to go into personnel? Oh, no. No, I didn't, think, I didn't wake up and go, woo, personnel. No, ironically, you know, when you're a kid and you're supposed to draw a picture in school, of this is what you want to be. And people wanted to be a fireman or a policeman or a doctor. Uh, I, I drew myself as president of the United States. I had high goals. And my teacher goes, is, do you know what you're drawing? I go, yeah, what's the big deal? It's not that hard. Now, I would never do that. But, you know, at the time, sure, why not? I think you're joining a long list of people who 
are saying, I will never do that. <laughs> What's the best advice you ever got but ignored? One of the guys I used to work with, Bud Swart, never forget Bud. Bud told me, uh, he sounded like Dr. Phil before Dr. Phil was around. Uh, he said, Steve, a leopard never changes its spots. And I said, you know, I was trying to change people and say, you've got an attendance problem and I can work on you and you'll be a better team member because I'm such a positive person and they'd still miss work. Or you've got a bad attitude and I tried to work with you and your attitude still didn't change that much. And he pulled me aside one day and we had lunch. He goes, a leopard never changes its spots. So after a few times, I go, oh, you're right. It was a hard lesson to learn, but I'm glad I know it now. Final question. What's something that we didn't ask but should have? I would ask this. What keeps you in the negative narrative of HR? You know, why do we still, decades later, can talk about how we fail instead of how we excel? And you guys are on the right path. I love what you do. But we tend to focus on what we're doing wrong instead of focusing like this on how we can move things ahead. I'd love to see the negative narrative go away in our profession. And to answer that question, we're going to have to have Steve Brown back. <laughs> so hopefully he'll accept. <laughs> Anytime. Oh, man, this is great. I'm, you, you got me. I'm in. And we really appreciate that. Steve, how can they get a hold of you? Two best ways are on Twitter, at SBrownHR, again, with the E on the end of Brown. At LinkedIn, you have to go through the creator mode, which is silly, but you can find me. Hit the more or the little button. But understand, if you connect with me, it's legit. I don't do it just to collect people. I believe in relationships. And they can get your podcast. Not, well, your can they listen to the podcast or the oh, HR net? No, the HR net is an old-fashioned email newsletter and a message board. It's just uh, I send out a newsletter with updates and resources, like I'm going to feature your guys' show on there so that people see it. Uh, because people don't, too many people in HR don't make time to get resources. So I put resources in their lap. But the big difference is I write a song that makes fun of HR every week just to keep it light. So if people get a hold of me on Twitter, DM me or link LinkedIn with me, tell me they want to be part of the HR net. I'd be glad to add them. Steve, really appreciate you being here, taking the time. It's been a pleasure. I'm sure our paths are going to continue to cross. And we're definitely going to put you on for a return visit. That's great. Thank you. Jason, we've had another great guest, uh, Steve, you know, just phenomenal. There's so many great moments. I, I was jotting down, there's so many great quotes that he said that just captured the the essence of, of where we were, especially as he closed with about being more positive rather than negative. His approach is just phenomenal. What stood out for you? How he focused on simplicity. My goodness. I mean, it, when he said that, and I just think about how our tendency, my tendency is to make things so much more complex. It's like, okay, here's a goal that we have. And then everyone sets out and comes up with a different set of processes. And this is what we got to do. In the examples he gave of how they went about hiring someone in the organization at LaRosa's and how you just completely simplify it in terms of, you know, this is what we actually need. Like we don't need to put somebody through the ringer. That's what really stood out to me is we've got to focus on simplifying many processes because complexity kills progress. Absolutely. And and along those lines, I think a great example is that when they were looking for like the cooks and the cashiers and maybe the pizza makers, it was, why do we need three titles? We're hiring team members. 
And what would you like to do if we hired you? What are you going to bring to the organization? Imagine that because most companies have this long list. And, and also on the simplification is what job description? You know, what if you had hired people without a job description? And my guess, and I'm not sure I'm going to be too wrong on this. My guess is most HR people said, well, you can't do that. It's illegal. No, it's not. Why couldn't you hire people without a job description? And we had a great discussion about that. But I think the one thing that stood out so much, and maybe it's because I talked about this uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, because it was in the forefront, was when he said that everyone in our company is essential. And I think there's two parts of that, is that you had essential workers and non-essential workers, and that became a government classification. And that may be necessary at some point. The other part of it is, is when you think about a pay equity, when you think about equity in general, whether it's gender equity, race equity, pay equity, maybe that's the problem because not everybody looks at it as everybody's essential. And frankly, if somebody's not essential in your business, why are they on your payroll? That's exactly right. So, you know, he, what a wonderful example he gave today of the things they're doing at La Rosa's. So he, not only did he provide the theory, he provided the application and actually walked us through very specific examples of things that they're doing to create an inclusive environment, to make it diverse, to make it as easy as possible. And quite frankly, that's why they get people coming to them saying, I want to work here. I'm not sure where I would necessarily fit, but I want to be a part of your company. Now that right there is what we talk about when we talk about employer brand, and it makes it tremendously easier to get the right people on your team doing their best work when you have that kind of notoriety with your company. I started out the show with the introduction saying, you know, Steve, a different than Dave Ulrich, was an HR professional in the trenches. He does this every single day. And he exemplifies, just like Dave does, on creating a model and changing organizations. Steve exemplifies what HR should be. It not only could be, it, it is in his world. It can be easily duplicated across thousands and thousands of companies. And uh, hopefully we help people understand that. And hopefully people will get in touch with Steve, but continue listening to our show because we're going to continue to talk about this and Geek Skeezers Googleization. But we want to thank Steve Brown for, for being here today. Thank you, everybody who's listening, for listening today. And uh, please uh, take the time to share the message. Let people know what we're talking about. If you disagree with anything we're saying, let us know that too. Uh, start a conversation. That's how we improve. That's how we learn. I'm Jason Cochran. You've been listening to Geek Skeezers Googleization. Be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And I'm Ira Wolf. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. Until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans. <laughs>